Whatever God's going to do in the world, He does through all of Christ's people, because that is the church. But is that all my church is, is a gathering of people? Is it really just come and see? Or is there something that I want to do to strike the match of my presence with my people that has much more to do with go and tell? And then all of a sudden you're in a five, you know, 5.30 a.m. prayer or 6 a.m. prayer meeting, and one of the first things staff people are saying to you is, what was the count? Hey, everybody, want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That's why we do what we do here on these podcasts. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am your regular host that shows up so consistently on these things. And I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Uh, Hey, let's talk church for the next 45 minutes or so. I was reading an article from Fox News uh, the other day, yes, a little admission there. I listened to Fox News, but don't hold that against me. And the heading had something to do with, is the church the way we know it dead? Uh, is it no longer ever going to be the way it has been? And what they were sort of implying there was this uh, idea of people gathering together in a building and worshiping and singing and hearing the message that that's going into the way of history, and it's going to be behind us, and now more of what we're going to see in church is going to be digital, optional, celebrity-driven, that sort of thing. Uh, Let me just read a couple paragraphs from this article, and I'll go ahead and link that uh, to this website. But uh, they say this, but the way of doing church is dead. Now, about a decade ago, the article says, forward-thinking churches realized that people no longer engage with organizations just physically, so they developed an online platform that streamed services parallel to the physical church. And then it talks about social media and YouTube entered the scene, and those forward-thinking churches adjusted again, creating multi-channel strategies that allowed people to access some content physically, optional there, but mostly online, and some of the church's social media platforms, the article suggests, uh, become almost as important as showing up on Sunday. Uh, I'm going to be talking today with Dwight Smith, Dr. Dwight Smith. He's the director, president of a ministry called uh, Saturation Church International. And the way I connected with him 10 years ago, I think it was about 10 years ago, I had the privilege when I was pastoring in Franklin, North Carolina, of joining a movement of uh, church planters. In fact, we ended up uh, planting three churches in the Western Carolina area, and I was part of a team that led that. And during that time, what really helped to kind of foster this and fuel this, empower it, was participating in a, in a community mostly of young church planters. And we would meet regularly for a year, maybe two years, with Dr. Dwight Smith, who would coach and lead on, um, on what biblical church plant uh, looks like. And uh, so today what I'm going to be talking with uh, Dwight is really what is happening to church, why is church important? In fact, that's the topic for this podcast. And um, and Dwight is just a a brilliant mind, a a, a strategic thinker, uh, helps to mobilize young people. He's also personally involved. In fact, this is a little bit of his bio. Uh, He's a leader of the Saturation Church Planting International, and uh, Dwight carries a strong burden for the local church in North America because it is his firm belief that the local church 
is God's primary instrument for world evangelism. In fact, one of the things Dwight would often say is that what God's going to do, he's going to do through his people. Uh, and then it continues there, the, the bio, that he made himself available on weekends for conferences, teaching seminars, leadership workshops, and as his schedule permits. And in re recent years, Dwight has worked with a growing number of church leaders and church planting in the U.S. And the goal of these relationships is very missional. It's the re-evangelization of the some 300 million people living in America by planting, replanting, and repurposing of 100,000 churches. So as you can tell from his bio, Dwight is a man who loves church. I can't wait for you to hear him talk with me about why church matters. All right, I'm excited to have Dr. Dwight Smith with me in this podcast interview. Uh, you are sitting in a car uh, near Starbucks, is that correct, Dwight? Absolutely, my favorite place. And you just had a espresso double espresso okay double espresso <laughs> double espresso well you're you're a guy with high energy so we expect you're going to have double high energy today yeah yeah uh, yeah so well i appreciate you uh, willing to do this the, we're going we're going to be talking today the the topic that i gave for this was why the church really matters and uh, i met you about 4 or 5 no probably 5 or 6 years ago when i was involved in church planting in the western carolina area and we were attending some workshops and gatherings, and you were the constant presence at those. And you, uh, I don't know if you saw yourself as, as this, but you were kind of a guru, uh, um, a, an, a, an expert in this field of, of church planting and the biblical values uh, of that. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I know that um, you come with a wealth of experience. You also come with a burden, don't you, for the church? Absolutely, absolutely. As you, as you have... Uh, rightly noted and you remember probably very well i always start off every presentation at the very beginning with this statement whatever god's going to do in the world he does through all of christ's people because that is the church yeah and in fact i had that written down here that was going to be my first question <laughs> <laughs> um well answer answer um uh, this question um uh, how do you how did you end up uh, doing what you're doing now. I mean, you, you make that statement, uh, which I, I do remember you often started with that. Uh, whatever he's going to do, he's going to do through uh, God, Christ's people, the church. Uh, tell us a bit about your story, how you ended up um, doing what you're doing now, what it is you're doing now, what is your burden, what is your passion? Because I know that that value really drove you and really brought about some changes in your life too. Absolutely. Well, I, I grew up in the church. My father was a pastor uh, I'm an only child, so I got a lot of the attention of mom and dad and had a chance to watch my dad. He was a scholar. Uh, so I grew up uh, early on, you know, uh, believing that the purpose of the church was to teach the Bible. And I think that is a, uh, that is a holy uh, vocation and uh, it's a good one. But I think the, the older I get, the more I realize that what people were doing, if I was good at that, was basically substituting me for that, that first uh, sense of which God is their God. You know, mm. he's not my God and I share him, share him with them. He's their God. Mm. And my job is to facilitate, to provoke if I have to, to crucible, to uh, champion, to challenge, to see them come to full faith um, by walking daily with God in his word. 
Now, I think the world changed on me as I was watching that. I mean, I've always been a student of the world and what's going on uh, sociologically, demographically, and globally. Uh, and you can see that uh, the more distance there was between people and the regularity of attendance at church, the more what I grew up in and what you grew up in became less effective. Mm -hmm. So whereas I was in church five, six, seven times a week, the average person today at best is maybe an hour in church uh, once or twice a month at most. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, today they sort of say regular is two out of six. And, and I look at that and I say, well, two out of six is not enough to do what good preaching would do. Mm. That's just not enough face-to-face -face is not exposure. So I, I think I captured that early on and ended up planting a church, has an, had an opportunity to mobilize that, to take that idea and make it happen. And, uh, and then just from then back into missions over the years, all of that is crystallized so that what, when I look at church today, it is more than just a theological definition of ecclesia. It is ecclesia, but that, that has a, some profound thinking that, uh, you know, as you've heard me say, as we studied uh, Ephesians chapter two and three together, that uh, when you come down to that point that Paul makes at the end of chapter two, is that we are, we are the temple of the living God. There is a natural explanation or a natural application to that that sort of says, well, if that's true, then wherever Mitch goes, wherever Dwight goes, wherever Patty goes, wherever Rebecca goes, hey, God goes. Mm -hmm. And the older I got, the more I saw it in the world, the more that became the power of what wanted God wanted to do. So then my job became, okay, I'm going to still be a good student of the word, good communicator of the word. But if I couldn't get these people who are the refraction of the living God every day, everywhere they go, because wherever they go, he goes. If I couldn't get them engaged in listening themselves to his words on a daily basis, and then striking the match of the most important things of discipleship, then just maybe, um, whoa, just maybe all my good preaching didn't make it. Mm. It didn't do. And more importantly, maybe the structure itself, which has been the discovery of the last 15 years, maybe the structure itself was actually, actually, um, was actually an obstacle to people coming conference in, 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 in rally re daily compassionate confrontation with God and his word that they can hide the big, the church gets. They can hide the more the program consumes their time. They can hide the more the worship team, you know, accentuates it. And I'm not speaking against those things. It's just that th that one conviction rising from Ephesians 2 and 3 dominated my life. Well, you came, you came to a critical turning point. I remember you shared quite often a, a crisis of sorts when you were pastoring a large church in California, right? Yes, I, you know, it was getting larger. Yes, I was just a young punk, and I was doing what I'd been trained to do, teach the Bible. Mm -hmm. And it grew. And then all of a sudden, you know, to crystallize that down quickly, um, God said to me, you know, you think my church is a warehouse for you to fill up with people to listen to you talk? Is that really? Yes, your preaching is faithful. Yes, I want you to do that. But is that all my church is, is a gathering of people? Is it really just come and see? Or is there something that I want to do to strike the match of my presence with my people 
that has much more to do with go and tell. Yeah, you go were you, you were disillusioned once. I, I if I remember correctly, during a prayer time with staff on Monday, and you overheard someone. Yeah, refer yeah to that the, was a, yeah, yeah, that was a second church where I okay. was executive. Pastor. Yeah, tell tell us what yeah. happened. That that yeah, was fascinating. It was a big, much bigger church, much much bigger church. And, you know, we were all in the euphoria of growth and lots of people, lots of money, lots of excitement, you know, great music. And then all of a sudden you're in a 5, you know, 5.30 a.m. prayer or 6 a.m. prayer meeting. And one of the first things staff people are saying to you is, what was the count? Mm. You know, how many people, how much money? It's like, whoa, wait a minute. What have we done here? Mm. <laughs> you know, has this whole thing been reduced down to people and money? What, yeah. what was, why, why did that bother you? What was going on in your heart that you reacted that way that maybe others were not seeing it? Be, because I just, I had also started some doctoral studies and I was forced to do a study of our church. And I discovered <laughs> that we had a back door as big as our front door. Mm. that we, we were baptizing people, but most of them were rebaptized. Mm. And the ones who were coming to faith six months later, I couldn't find them in the church. So mm. you, if you're genuine, when you look and sort of say, whoa, wait a minute, that's not what I intended to do. Mm. Would it be accurate to say that part of your disillusionment was, was Sunday gathering in a building that was the only time people were thinking church? Well, I think it's become crystal clear at 71 that, yes, at that moment, it was more of an itch, mm-hmm. you know, that just kept scratching at me and made mm-hmm. me take some huge vocational changes from one thing back into another. And today, in the last 10 years, has forced me to, to write five books as I attempt to still document, what am I discovering? What does God want to say? Why is the church in America dying why do some people say that there's only maybe 12 to 15 true followers of Jesus Christ in the church in America, even though there's 60 million who go to church on Sunday? What, where is all that discrepancy mm. coming from? Yeah. And at the same time, you're believing God's going to do, he's going to do through the church. Absolutely, because he, he does it through people, because people are the church. They are his eternal, they are his incarnational manifestation. And so if people don't capture the life of faith, live the life of faith 24-7, then the church is dead. It, I mean, they are just, you know, we're swimming uphill trying to yeah. get done now what given, given that to do. We're we're um, I've got so many other things to ask you, but we're I, I feel like we I could get stuck in this part. But I, I'm I'm curious too though. What are we doing wrong in that moment in that gathering that um, is is keeping that from happening? You know where the church becomes yeah. the reality well, during the week. Three things in my mind. Number one, it happened to us. One has happened mm-hmm. to us. We had no control over. The culture's changed. It's mm-hmm. become more hostile to truth. It's become more hostile to definitive truth. It wants to be inclusive, including salvation, and Christians can't be there. You know, I can be accepting and loving of any, any and every person out there, no matter what their sin is, you know, non-Christian. I can accept them as individuals, but I'm not going to accept the fact that there's, there's more than one way to salvation because I accept the Bible's truth that there is only one way to God. Mm-hmm. And so that does make me, in that aspect of life, it makes me an exclusivist. So that's mm-hmm. one thing. It's happened to us and it continues to happen. Number two, I think that rather than, rather than deeply evaluating what was wrong 
And how do we how do we co- how do we cooperate with God and the Holy Spirit to do what they what He wants to do in the world? What we did was He said, "Well, we can just do this better." So if we just have a better program and better preaching, more relevancy, that that'll change everything. And I think even though it has collected some big churches, the numbers of churches are still in dramatic decline. The churches are closing by the tens of thousands every year. You know, I think the last statistic I saw, we we open we open six or eight thousand new every we open four thousand or no new every year we close six thousand so we're in deep trouble and the argument of relevancy is not a deep enough striking of the thinking of what's wrong then thirdly i think even though we continue to do in the gathering some of the things that we ought to do to make truth more relevant, to make it understood, to help people, you know, live within the the parameters of orthodoxy rooted from truth. I think unless we can get people eyeball to eyeball in groups of 10 to 12, we're in trouble Mm. because life cannot simply be lived with two Face to face with other brothers of Christ mm. every six weeks. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah, when you say that, rather than saying what's wrong, we we do more. That's uh, I I I think about the frustration of raising your voice to a, a deaf person. It's not going to make any difference how loud you're yeah, talking. They're yeah. they're still deaf. You know, so there has it to be another it, way to communicate. It, it, it doesn't work. Let's just do it better. Mm. Well, yeah, yeah. But it already it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, now it'll work together a crowd, right. but it doesn't grow. It doesn't work for for righteousness, mm-hmm. and righteousness mm-hmm. is God's gift of wholeness and purity and 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 joy and faithfulness. These are all antagonistic to a superficial gathering that doesn't have that below it deep incarnational face to face life between believers. Yeah, and that, that explains your, your – these are values that you, you have, you teach. Uh, I, I yeah. believe every, t- every time you spoke when I was in, the, in that context, these were the four things you would bring up. The second one is this, that whatever God is going to do in the world, he's going to do through leaders. Uh, no, no, that's the third one. Uh, let me repeat it. Whatever no, God is going to – That is? Okay. That's the second one. Yeah, that's number two. Okay. Well, you, you said this, that he's going to do through Christ's people. He's going to do it primarily through a decentralized structure. What, what do you mean yeah, by that? Yeah, that's number three. That's number three. Uh, okay. And that's what I mean by this, is that the more I look at it from Scripture and the more I look at it sociologically in America, and oh, by the way, now that I have children all over the world— who have listened to this and struck the match of this mm-hmm. and see it in India and in China and in Cuba and in Ethiopia and other places, I see that when the church moves laterally, it grows most quickly mm. because it, it grows with the lowest the lowest amount of, uh, of thresholds. Mm. It doesn't have a whole lot of scenings. It doesn't have to have a church with a building with a full-time pastor. Now, if it has those things, that's fine, but that's not the creed of its growth. So in, in India, where we've been for 30 years, in the last 10, we've, we've been deeply involved with uh, a new generation accomplishing what the old fa- their fathers did, but they died, and now they still have another another, you know, four or 500 million, four or 500,000 churches to plant, we see numbers of reproduction just off the charts Mm. because they bought into the idea that lateral movement was more important than vertical movement. And so in order to make that happen, 
they had to train a lot of leaders. Mm -hmm. And they would accept the fact that if you end up with 50 or 60 or 70 or 100 people in the home, that was okay. What are you seeing in the, the, the U.S. that's encouraging you and discouraging you in that regard? Well, you know some of my children very well. I won't mention them in order not to just simply champion them. But you know some of the ones in your time. Mm-hmm. It's been closer to eight or ten years, Mitch, um, that really did pick up those principles. And they went out. I can think of one that's not far from you. Mm-hmm. That They've worked closely with me for 10 or 12. and They've gone out. And they now have five sites. None of the sites are over 250, 300 people. They've got about 12 to 1,400 people. They have a 15% conversion rate. 80% of their people are in, in, in growth groups and small groups. Uh, when you talk about the values, they measure them every year. And 75 to 80% of those people are living in those values because they embrace the fact that, that lateral growth was much easier, much more effective, much more creating the face-to-face, much more releasing people into rubbing daily with non-believers as they live their faith than it would be to have gathered a 1,000 into one building. And they, they now are in the second phase where they're saying, okay, we still have 40-something-plus places that we think the gospel needs to be. So what does the next phase look like? Well, you say that, and you, you look at it, and I say, well, that's nuts. You can't pay for that. Well, along the way, they believed in interdependent leadership. They believed that facilitating people was the most important thing, that lay people was the best way to structure the church. They've got 15 other communicators in their body. They can go as far as they want to go lateral with lower cost. Mm-hmm. They, only own, they only own two buildings now. One was given to them. The other... And that's an old, it's an old mortuary that they're converting. All of the rest are long-term, easy to handle, friendly, neighborhood kind of places where people can gather. Now, there's much more to that. There's yeah. a lot more to that. Yeah. And you're not a genius of it. Yeah. And that, and that determines what, how Sunday, the purpose of Sunday morning, how that's used. Uh, it does not Absolutely. take, it, it does not take away. In fact, it reinforces the importance of the gospel, preaching the word. That's essential in this, obviously, isn't it? Absolutely. Because Sunday morning becomes the moment when you celebrate who you are, what Mm -hmm. you've done, what God's done. And more importantly, it's the day you remind people of the orthodoxy of Scripture that Mm -hmm. we believe in that constantly gets to tax seven days a week. Yeah. It's a reaffirmation of orthodoxy. Yeah. And that's why good preaching is so important. Yeah, and one of the things that uh, we talked before we record here, a little bit of our frustration uh, when we visit churches of, you know, being a little bit critical and cynical. But one of the things, <laughs> one of the things I long for, and I, and, I, and I want to stand up and cheer when I hear it, is where, you know, announcements and everything that's done has the, in mind the people who are there and what they've been experiencing during that week. And it's, yeah. not, about, it's not about what you can do for us here. You know, if you're going to be faithful you know, we need you here. No, it's more we exist here to empower you uh, to live Absolutely. out your faith where God has put you. And that, so this is your second value. I'll read this because that's connected to what I just said. Uh, whatever God is going to do in the world, he's going to do through leaders who empower his people as their first priority and as more important than their own giftedness. What, what are you saying there? Yeah. 
Well, that comes back from what I already shared with you as a young guy who had a golden tongue who preached the word <laughs> and people came to listen to me. I preached 45, 50 minutes, loved it, bought the tapes. All of a sudden, you know, God says to me, well, that's great. You're faithful with God's word. You're, 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 an, you are establishing orthodoxy. You're putting the parameters of scripture and foundations of scripture in their life. But Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I brought them to redemption so that they would have relationship with me. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And I want, I want you to make sure that's value. Number one, as you know, it, I want make sure you to make sure that everything you do, uh, accentuates that my word and them accessing my word is the center of my relationship with them. Not church, not a church program, not listening to you, not buying tapes, not videos, not worship songs. It's that daily waking up and being reminded that I am connected to eternity through a Savior who has bought back all of my rebellion and given me freedom in his life. Mm. I love it. I love it. The fourth value is this, whatever God is going to do, and this, this ties in very well with what you just said, uh, whatever God is going to do in the world, uh, distant from any local church's circle of accountability is going to do through the resources of the church, telescoped and joint venture with the Holy Spirit and with indigenous resources. There's a lot there, and I'll put these on my oh. website so people can refer yeah. to it. But um, yeah. expound on this, because again, I love this because it takes the focus away from you know, what can we do for the church to how the church yep. can empower yep. you with this yep. gospel? You know, we, yep. we go, we go to church to be reminded we're forgiven sinners and yep. we get, we get to live for him during the week. We get to glorify yep. his name. We get to share his love with people. And we also get to participate in the fact that today is the greatest day of global evangelization than the 2000 years history of the church has seen. Mm. More people coming to faith, more churches being planted, uh, more of those people with the burden. You know, I think of our Indian colleagues that we work with. You think about, okay, they're, they're, they're engaged in reaching unreached peoples in India. They're engaged in reaching their villages and neighborhoods. But we have followed them, them, mm. into, into uh, the country surrounding India. Hey, we need to go. Okay, well, what do you need us to help you do to go? So they go to Sri Lanka, you know, they go up to Nepal and they are mobilizing their people because those pieces that have done it are close geographically close to those places. And so they're sending their people into Nepal. They're sending their people into Sri Lanka. So the genius, that's what was the point of that, 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 uh, that statement was that whatever God's going to do in Nepal, he's going to do through Nepalese believers. Mm. But the best way to do that is with Nepalese speaking Indians who live in the Northern part of India, mm. who have a burden to reach Nepal. So we joint venture, they joint venture to create indigeneity in that place. And in a day, for example, we did the same thing in Cuba in the day when I mean, the numbers, Mitch, are off the chart of people who are coming to faith on a monthly basis around the world. Now, so America needs to rethink it. Our job is not just to send missionaries. The job is for every local church to so be engaged with the burden of the continued openness of the world and the spaces that haven't been reached, that they find tangible time to give their people a vision 
every family finding a group of people that they would pray for. Mm -hmm. Forget their money. Forget going. Pray for them. Put a map on the wall. Talk about who those people are. Pray through somebody close to them reaching them. And so there's a there's a there's a possibility for global partnership with with Indians for Nepal with Cubans for for any place that a Cuban wants to go and Fidel has sent them all over the world as medical medical mm -hmm. doctors. So it's a it's a massive new day of opportunity. And, and yet I think the church needs to be connected. It just can't give it away to mission agencies. It needs to create the burden and find mm. a realistic way to pursue that burden while protecting indigeneity in every country. Uh, describe the circle of accountability. Ah, well, asking God the Holy Spirit to give us a specific geographic sphere around us, square, triangle, oblong, circle, I don't care, <laughs> a specific geography around us that we can guarantee that we will mobilize every asset that God's put into our hands that that would guarantee that every man, woman, and child that will have an will have had a repeated opportunity to come into encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ, incarnationally, verbally, and uh, and understanding wise with the gospel, and been given that opportunity to say yes or no to the invitation that God gives in His Son Jesus Christ. Because we all know, I mean, in America, the West more than the, the other places, but even in, it's the same other places. People don't come to to know Christ through great preachers. Mm -hmm. They come to know people. Eighty-five percent of the people who come to Christ come to it relationally. Mm -hmm. They knew a Mitch. They knew a Dwight, and that person got close enough with them to begin to say. Man, dude, what's the hope with I? Why are you so hopeful? You know, with all the difficulties, why why do you still believe mm. this? And you have an incarnational life that buttresses the divine message. Yeah, and the circle of accountabilities can be uh, a church can identify a circle and own it. Uh, and yeah, and you yeah. you talk you talk to about yeah, churches every church and individual families. Yeah, Fifty people, absolutely, families yeah. can do it. We and individuals. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love that. We call that my circle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because you get it, you know, it says everything you get down to its most reproducible element mm -hmm. is what we reproduce. And people and families are what reproduce. Is part of what you're seeing That's, in India and Cuba that people are also being trained to share the gospel? I, I was thinking about this the other day that when, when I was younger, there was, there was such an emphasis yeah. on, on yeah. learning, learning the gospel, learning how to share it. Um, are, are you yes. seeing the change here yes. in the States with yes. us? Yes, no. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, that's what you see. But there's a different word that I would use than trained. Eventually, you want to give some cognitive information to it, mm -hmm. some organized material. But here's what happens in places where the gospel is growing. They're given expectation and authority. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. This is who you are. This is what God's called you for. The stories we hear of, you know, apparent nobodies who can barely read, who simply take the gospel message of what God's done and maybe take, because we also give them, we give away quite a few um, solar powered, mm. preloaded Bibles for them to have. They take those things and everywhere they go, they listen to them and they use that as a bridge to share the gospel with somebody. Yeah. Why? They, yeah. they think they have the authority to do that. Mm. Oh, by the way, they do. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I wonder if we take for granted what's been done for us and we are not, you know, compelled to take that message and see others as lost like we were. And we would be without hope as they are had it not been for what Christ had done for yeah. us. 
So yeah. now sometimes a little bit of information cognitively put together might help me know what to say when that happens. But if I don't think I have the responsibility, the authority and the permission, I might not do anything about it. Yeah. Well, I love that. It's a great commission, isn't it? It's authority crisis has sent yeah. us with. Um, yeah. Well, good. So you, you talk about um, the Antioch uh, church characteristics. I think in, even on your website, there are seven of them. There are some, yeah. summarize those for us and why, why they matter. I think they're, it was just refreshing getting to look over those. And I remember going through the training. Um, yeah. yeah. You want to just give us a summary yeah. of that? Well, do me a favor, but since I have you on my screen, uh, you know, I don't know that I can turn to yeah. your, your notes. Well, first of all, tar target-driven, target-driven, target meaning, and we're back to circle of accountability, that every church exists for the community that it's around it. It, mm -hmm. it doesn't exist for itself. It doesn't exist together. It doesn't exist just to hear worship or to hear preaching. It exists for the lostness around it. And so that consciousness has to be there because that why Christ has a church. Second one is measurable incarnate values. That is that when we think about what we want people to look like, when we think about that we are the instrument of God because we are the, the temple of the living God, everywhere we go, we represent two big aspects of God. Number one, we represent his, his glory. Mm. And number two, we represent his assets. Mm. They're his. I love it. And Good. So everywhere we go, we represent. So, the way we choose to live our life, of the priesthood of the believer, of the, of the, of the use of the spiritual gifts, of, of allowing the Spirit to grow uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit, of releasing all of our assets, opening our hands and let God spend them, you know, of, of all of these things that, uh, that I've defined, I think I have five of them, these become the most tangible, biblically rooted expressions of what it looks like to belong to Jesus, who, by the way, Mitch, after me saying this for so many years, nobody's disagreed with me. Mm. I didn't have to go create a discipleship program. Jesus already has one. Mm. Here's what my children look like. And yeah. here's what your job and mine is to grow them in that. Yeah, and you've and you've coached churches to actually evaluate how well their congregation is doing. Oh, Again, absolutely. they're measurables, and the five of them are intimacy with God, Yep. Uh, fruit of the Holy Spirit, grace, testimony, yep. gifts of the Holy yep. Spirit, and then stewardship of life. And yep. then there's a sixth one, personal circle of accountability. Yeah, but that's for a church. That's a corporate one. Right. But you can right. also have it personal in mind. Sure. Yes, you can. Sure. Yeah, obviously, it starts with my sense of concern for my block. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, good. Uh, third one is people-empowered intensive. That is, I am obsessed that if, if, if after everything is all over, dead, and said, and done, I can't measurably say my people have been, been, been mobilized into growing in faith, telling the faith, mm. and demonstrative change in their marriage and their family, then maybe all the good that I did is not, is not good. Because God is concerned that we be facilitators. I am, I, am, I am almost like a midwife. You and I are midwives. It's not about us. Mm. It's about the baby of faith being born in people. Mm. Good, good. There's some tools that churches are using for the measurables as well. Uh, yes. Is that yes. a resource that's available yeah, on your, yeah. your website? 
everything i mean you've you've talked a lot here and as i shared with you over the years i've now finished five books Mm -hmm. three of the five two are about to come out three of the five which have all the basics that you and i have talked about and more are available on uh, www.scpglobal.org yeah i'll put that on the website uh the other one is lateral postured and you've talked about that um number five interdependent leadership What, what do you mean there well, that means that leadership is not one dude. You know, mm. we are incomplete. I mean, you know, I came to the realization early on that no matter what my gifts were, no matter how expressive they were, how desirable they were in public, that I was incomplete without other gifts. Mm. Uh, and God intended that. Just like marriage is incomplete with a man without a woman. The Trinity, now God's mm. Trinity is different than my incompleteness, but the Trinity is a beautiful expression of, mm. of interdependency. You see that again and again and again, especially in the new Testament, that it takes God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit to do what the function of God wanted to be done in the world. And uh, so marriage is that way. The universe is that way. It's delicately interdependent. The body first Corinthians 12 is interdependent. Mm. And I, you know, it's almost, I came to the point, Mitch, where I said, well, if everything else is interdependent, then how is leadership not also interdependent? But in order to make that happen, you got to, you got to buy into this. I'm incomplete. Yeah. And God made me that way. That's the way he made me incomplete. Uh, Six, you talk about Antioch related to other churches. And I love, I love that because it, it, it reminds when, when we, when I heard this emphasis and I was still pastoring, it really, it really urged me to work more with other like-minded churches Absolutely. and, and realize that we, we don't have a market on this. You know, we're here. There's Absolutely. a lot of churches in this community. Yeah. And, yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Telescoping is the, well, the seventh You already one. got that one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yep. So those are just descriptives of what we call Antioch. I mean, you call it, you could call it missional. You could call it biblical. You could call it, uh, I don't know, come up with some other adjective. It's our way of saying, hey, these are seven good characteristics of what local churches ought to be thinking. You know, do I just, in closing here, I, I, we started talking about, really the whole theme here has been why church matters. And uh, one of my concerns, I'm sure it is with you too, is, is apathy towards the church. And it'd be easy to say the younger generation, that's the case. I, I think that that's the case with, uh, with every generation. But what, what would you say to someone who either a pastor who's burdened about this or someone maybe who's listening, who just, you know, I love Jesus, but yeah, you know, kind of tired of church. How, how, what, what's the, what's the way to light the, what's the way to light the fire there? Well, I don't know how he lights the fire, but I light it two ways. Uh, Obviously one way is I constantly keep thinking I'm in scripture on a daily basis. I'm reading strident thinkers, especially ones who are dead. I'm constantly trying to be challenged in my heart and my mind. I want to understand the world, but there are two things that I think that do keep me more challenged. And that is, as I shared with you before we came on this year, I'm, I'm going after an agenda of four sites twice, two days, four times. Um, So that's going to be about, eight encounters with young men and a few women between 10 and 15 in each. I'm preferring people under 30. I'm basically saying, I'm saying to these young people who churches are giving to me uh, to help mentor, uh, I'm saying to them, follow me because I think I'm following Christ. Mm. Mm. 
So I, I want to start younger and say, okay, I don't care what your generation says you are. I don't care what your generation is saying to you. Uh, you know, Timothy was 17. David was 15 or 16. Uh, a mission, some of the missionaries that went places were 20, 25. I am not willing to accept that you can't strike the match of obedience and sensitivity to God at a very young age. Mm. I don't care what your sociology has done to you. Uh, that's the first thing I'm doing. Uh, I think second, I think I would say to those guys, um, you need to spend more time with younger leaders in your own church and uh, younger pastors because a good number of those are coming from broken homes, difficult environments, and they're looking for fathers. So the mm. second thing I'm doing is uh, I am, I'm, I'm aggressively engaged with my own grandkids. My wife and I have an agenda with each one of them. There's about 12 of them. We bring them together one-on-one. -on -one. My wife sends them regular uh, you know, email stuff. We put Bible study material in their hands. We bring them together once a year as a group to begin to just dialogue us and them about life and eternity and Genesis 1 and marriage and decisions. And, and what we're trying to do is unapologetically get them talking early on about the major issues of life. In fact, my wife and I with another couple of writing a book uh, on the very topic, Grandparents on a Mission, because mm. we, be we believe grandparents can make a huge impact on their grandkids. Yeah, I've got one three-year-old and I see that. I, I see yeah. how vulnerable she is. We spend, uh, she, she's probably with us three, three days a week. Um, yeah. and it's, just, it's just a privilege to be able to invest uh, yeah. close to home that way. Well, Dwight, I, I appreciate how, and I've known this about you, that you, you have a lot of um, ideas and you're, you're, it, it springs out of doctrine and theology, but, but you also do it. You're doing something about it. You're not someone who's just teaching it, but you're modeling it. You're, you're convicted by, by this, and that's evident. So thank you for investing in people as you have, and I'm one of those that was a recipient of that some years ago. And you're right. It was probably about eight, nine years ago. It was. You were a we're both a little older now. Yeah, yeah. I had, uh, I, I, I had maybe less, a little more hair, but uh, looks like yeah. you still have yours. You're doing good. Well, do I thank you so much? I really appreciate this. I know this will be encouragement to, uh, okay. to a lot of people, and I'll also be putting Super. resources that uh, the yeah. books you've written as well as the website. I'll put yeah. that up on the website. And they want to talk to me? Just email me. Glad to talk to them. I'll give them your cell phone number. How's that? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Super, Mitch. I appreciate thank you. it. God thank bless. Thank you, Dwight. Bye bye. Uh -huh. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Before You Quit. And just a reminder, you can go to our website, www.beforeyouquit.us, and listen to up to 45 different podcasts that I've done, and also tons of blogs that I've written as well. And uh, hey, I'd love to hear from you if you want to email me and ask me any questions or comment about anything you've heard today or previous podcast episodes, you can write me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, uh, stay encouraged and don't forget what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 78 uh, through 58, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. <laughs>